Welcome to How to Trade It, The Road to Trading Mastery. Join Casey Stubbs, a seasoned trader, as he guides you to become a profitable trader. Find actionable insights, real-life stories, and strategies to boost your trading skills. Don't miss the journey to trading victory. Start listening now. Connect with us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Trading profits are just an episode away. This is the How to Trade It podcast. We talk about the real stories behind successful traders. You will learn the strategies that the best traders use in today's markets. And we get those experts to show us how to trade it. Hey everyone, this is Casey Stubbs, and I'm here today with Al Brooks, and he's going to share with us all of the many years of experience that he has in trading. He's been trading for many years and has written many books, and he's a host of a chat room, and I'm really excited to learn a lot today, and so everybody that's listening along should be paying a lot of attention. Thank you so much, Al, for being on the show. I appreciate it, Casey. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak. So when I was reading some things about your past, and it sounds like you have a lot of experience. You got started in trading many, many years ago in the 80s. Can you tell me a little bit about your background and history, and then from there, how you actually got started into trading? Yeah, I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, back in the East Coast. And I didn't realize that I was poor until I was about four or five years old. And I started noticing people with fancy cars, and we'd drive through some neighborhoods that had big houses, people had boats in the bay. Anytime I wanted things, for example, at Christmas, I couldn't get very many things. And I realized that all the shopping that I was doing when we would go to the department store was window shopping. So it was fun to look at all the toys that were there and to see them on television, but I could never buy them because my parents didn't have any money. And because of that, I decided, you know, I really don't like being poor. I want to be like those guys with the big cars, the big houses and the boats and everything else. And so ever since I was very young, I wanted to become a rich guy. So that was my goal early on. And that's what I achieved. And I'm happy where I am right now in life. So as you grew up, you know, you started to do your own thing, you know, move out and do things like that. You were looking for ways to advance your situation. How long did it take you, even before you became a trader, how long did it take you to increase your standard of living? Well, you know, I decided that the best way to do it would be to become some kind of a professional. And I wanted to become a businessman. But back then in the 50s and 60s, in my neighborhood, my culture, you do what your parents tell you to do. And my mother, for whatever reason, told me when I was like 10 years old, I think you should become an eye surgeon. I didn't even know what an eye surgeon was. But from that point on, I thought, well, that's what I have to become in life. I have to be an eye surgeon. And to become an eye surgeon, you have to go to medical school. To go to medical school, you have to get really good grades. So I became a very good student, and I ended up going to a very good medical school, University of Chicago, and I became an eye surgeon. But the entire time that I was at the University of Chicago, I kept thinking, this is what your mother wants you to do, but what you want to do is go downtown and work in the Chicago Mercantile Exchange or on the Board of Trade and be trading. And I just felt so strongly that that's what I had to be doing with my life, that that's where I belonged. But I found myself a doctor, an eye surgeon. 
I was a very good one. You know, I studied hard. I did well on the boards, the medical boards. I was a medical scientist for a number of years. I published dozens of scientific papers on eye surgery and eye diseases. But again, I kept thinking, I really wish that I was a trader. Now, you had mentioned early that you wanted to have a lot of money, but I feel like being an eye surgeon is a great way to grow your wealth also. And so was the draw to trading a purely financial decision or was it something else driving that? You know, I made a lot of money as an eye surgeon. I made a lot of money as a trader. To me, the issue was not the money. It was the happiness. And, you know, I think I've always been focused on two things in life, making money and being happy. And you have to have both. You know, I think being happy and enjoying what you're doing is really, really important. And when I'd look at charts back in the 80s, you know, I started thinking, maybe I'll you know, buy some stock and do some trading. And throughout the 80s, I started doing that. And I'd look at charts, and it looked pretty easy. If the chart's going up, I buy, I'll make money. If the chart's going down, I exit and form some kind of a base and rally. And it looks simple. But when I started doing it, it wasn't so simple. It's really hard. It's really hard to pick turning points in the market, even though when you print charts out, it looks easy. But I, I felt like I was a smart guy. I was a hardworking guy, and I'd be able to figure it out. I also had the wrong belief that there would be people who would be eager to help me. You know, in my family, everybody wants to help the younger people. So I thought if I tried to be a trader, I'd have all these people willing to tell me how to do it, to teach me how to do it. And what I discovered was back in the 80s, you know, you could buy courses. There was no internet back then. You know, you had magazines, you'd go to seminars, you hired tutors. I did all that. I hired tutors. I spent time with professional traders. I read every book I could get. I read every magazine, every article. And I bought a whole bunch of expensive software. And what I discovered was it was all a bunch of lies. It was all garbage. And, you know, now I'm sure... You see that hypothetical statement on every website that came after the craziness in the 80s and early 90s when people would just lie just to steal money from you, thousands of dollars for courses and videos and all kinds of subscription services. And I did all of it, but it was all useless. I spent years believing what they were telling me. They looked professional. They, you know, Their material looked professional. And I did exactly what they were telling me to do. And I kept losing money. This went on for years and years and years. And I decided that this is crazy. It's basically a zero-sum game. And I want to be on the other side of it. Now I'm donating money to people who know how to do this. And I want to be on the side of taking money. I don't, instead of having people take money from my account, I want to take money from their account. And I decided that I had to start from scratch. Way back in the beginning, I'd look at a chart and I could see that there are certain patterns that would let me know if the market is going to go up or down. So I stripped my chart of all the indicators and I just had a simple bar chart and then eventually a candlestick chart. And I started to look for repeating patterns and I found some, I found many. In fact, now I have hundreds and I just look for them all day long and I just trade them. If you think about it, the market is rational. It's exactly a market. You know, it's like you and me trading between us. You're going to do what's rational for you. I'm going to do what's rational for me. And if I'm a better trader than you, I'll make more money. I get the better of the deal. If you're better than me, you'll get the better of the deal. And trading is just that, but with thousands and thousands of participants. So I figured all I had to do is be a little bit better than average and I'll consistently make money. And that's what I've been doing 
So I lost money for 10 years before I was consistently able to make money. It was probably 10 years. So what was uh, some of the bad advice that you were getting when you were first starting out? Well, a lot of it was magic indicators. You know, buy my magic indicator or go to my seminar and I'll teach you to trade. I remember I hired one guy who was selling himself as a great master trader. And I flew him out to my house. I put him up in a hotel and worked with me for several days and realized he really didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know at all what he was doing. And I kept pressing him on, what about your trades? You're with me for three days. Are you not trading? Eventually, he told me that, oh, no, 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 I don't trade. I just teach trading. And I said, well, have you ever traded? Do you ever make money? Well, I don't talk about that. So I had so much experience with people like that, that it was clear to me that I had to figure it out for myself and do it on my own. And that's what I did. And I started building, 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 building. And now I have a very large collection of things that I look for during the day. And every day at the end of the day, I go through every chart bar by bar for practice. You know, if you watch the NBA, those guys don't just show up on the floor and start to shoot. You know, they practice, you know, when they're not performing. And when I'm not trading, when the markets are closed, I'm thinking about markets. I'm thinking about chart patterns. And basically, I'm practicing. So I'm practicing all the time because I like the day trade. And I, for the most part, I'm trading five-minute charts. When I'm not in the chat room, I'll sometimes trade two-minute charts. And you have to be really quick to recognize patterns and to place trades and to manage the trades and to analyze if the trade is still good. And that requires practice. Hello, this is Casey, and I wanted to take a minute to tell you about my new book that just came out. It's called Complete Trading System. This is my 25 years of trading experience sharing everything that I have learned in how to make a profit from the markets. You're going to learn about how to find the right instruments to trade, how to find a trend, how to get started as beginners. You're going to learn about how to get the right mindset, and you're going to be able to put it all together to create a trading system of your own that will work for you. I highly recommend that you try it out. Just click the link right now. It's called Complete Trading System. It's available on Amazon. Thank you. Go ahead and check it out. I think you're going to love it. So back when you first got started, you said it took you 10 years to get started. When you were going through that process, were you still working in your practice at that time? The first three years of it, I was working. You know, you mentioned the crash of 1987. I started actively trading most days before going to work in October of 1987, beginning of 1987, which was the month of the crash. And I remember I had some money with a brokerage firm. I'm not going to say the name of the brokerage firm, but the guy was being presented as this really smart market guru. And what he did was, he made money by selling puts. And selling puts is a really good way to make money because puts are always overpriced and you can consistently make money. But everything in this world fails at some point. And on the Friday before the crash, I had, I don't know, maybe a $100,000 account with him and it was short, all kinds of puts. And I called the guy and I said, buy back every put. 
And he got really annoyed. He said, Al, I've been doing this for 10 years and I'm really good at it. And don't worry, holding me puts short. You're going to make a fortune because the market can't go down much more. And the next trading day was Monday, the day of the crash. He closed out all my puts on Friday before the crash. And on Monday, the day of the crash, not only was I no longer holding short puts, I heavily shorted the S&P, S&P futures. Back then, there were no E-minis. There were just S&P futures. And I heavily shorted the S&P, thinking that this looks like we're going to go down big. And I had a full surgery schedule that day. So I had to close out my positions before I went to the market. And as I was driving to work, they were saying, oh, the market's down. We don't know how far down, down it is, but it's falling and it's falling fast. And at the end of the day, had I held my position, I would have made $400,000 on the day. And in today's dollars, that would be over a million dollars. So here I am, a day trader trading for three weeks, and I missed out on a $400,000 trade because I had this other job that I had to do. And at that point, I decided I could do this. That's really got to open you up your eyes to like the potential, like realizing you could have made that much money in one day. Yeah. But I want to say one other thing. In a way, it was dumb luck. You know, I saw what was happening and I thought it was correct to be short. And had I made the million dollars that day, since I didn't know what I was doing, I would have traded aggressively and heavily over the next several weeks, next month or two. And I probably would have given it all back. So I made one good call, but if I'm a day trader for three weeks, I'm going to make a whole bunch of really stupid calls. And I'm sure that I would have given a big chunk of it or all of it back just in a matter of weeks. Right. Yeah. So other than getting terrible advice, what were some of the other really big challenges to becoming successful consistently? Well, you know, you're too young to know, but back in the 80s, if you want to place a trade, you have to call a phone number. The broker answers the phone. And you say, I want to sell an S&P futures contract. He writes out a piece of paper and gives it to a runner. The runner takes it to the guy in the pit who's doing all those hand signals. The guy in the pit finds someone who's going to do the opposite, take the opposite side of the trade. And he writes it down on the piece of paper. He gives the paper to the runner. The runner takes it back to the broker on the phone. And the guy on the phone says, Al, you were filled at such and such a price. You know, to me, anybody hearing this, that's crazy. How could you possibly day trade like that? And back then, the guys on the floor had a tremendous advantage because they could see what's happening and they could get instant fills. But as a day trader at home on the phone, if you're in a position and you want to get out and you dial the number, you know, you're counting each ring one, two, three. You know, you want to get out. And on average, it would take two or three minutes from the time you touch the phone to the time you get your fill. So they would call you back? Like you would say, I want a market order or would you put a limit order on? You hold, you stay on the phone. And it seemed like eternity sometimes if you're desperate to get in or desperate to get out. It was eternity and it caused a lot of stress, as you can imagine. And it made it really hard to scalp. You know, it was virtually impossible to scalp. Now, a lot of trades, you know, today, I don't know how many trades I took, maybe 20 trades today. And a lot of the trades, some of the trades today, the market moves so fast. You know, I got out in a matter of seconds after getting in. Sometimes the market just would jump, you know, seven or eight points in a matter of, you know, 15 seconds. And, you know, I stopped to get in. I have a limit order sitting there. And within seconds, my stop would be hit. I'd be in. And within seconds later, my limit order would be hit and I'd be out. That was not possible back in the 80s. Wow. So that's pretty interesting. So were you trying to hold positions a little bit longer than you probably didn't have all of your 
patterns down like you do now. So you were maybe holding a little longer. Well, back then, as a day trader, you're basically swing trading. You'd be hoping for a trade that would last an hour or two or three. Whereas now, you can take little trades that you expect will last five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And there are a whole bunch of them. You know, there are 81 bars on the five-minute chart in the E-mini every day. And I probably see about 40 trades on the 81 bars. I don't take all of them, but I see 40 trades. And if you had to do that on the phone, it would be impossible. You just couldn't do it. But now I can do it. So did you get into online trading basically as soon as it was created? It must have yeah. been like, what, early 90s, something like that? Yes, it's funny. When you've traded a long time, you end up getting a whole bunch of accounts. And I have a whole bunch of accounts with all these different brokers. And I don't trade all of them every day. There are some that I trade every day, but I always trade all of them regularly. And the reason for that is, I'm going to give you a little story in a second, but the reason for that is stuff happens. Sometimes stuff hits the fan and you think that it cannot happen, but it does happen. And for example, I heard a few months ago that TD Ameritrade, their trading got locked up. So if you only had a TD Ameritrade account and you were desperate to get in or out of a position, you couldn't do it. Right. You're in a position and you wanted to get out, you're stuck. But if you have multiple accounts and you've been trading all the different platforms regularly, you can quickly offset the position in one of your other accounts without warning. So, you know, that's one of the reasons I have multiple accounts. And let me say one thing. I have TradeStation and I got it as soon as it came out. And every now and then when you call TradeStation for support, they ask you, what's your number? You're like one. (laughs) I give them my number. They say, well, what are the other digits? They say, there ain't no other digit. That's how long I've had TradeStation. The guy's answering the phone. I'm, I'm sure I've had TradeStation for longer than those guys have been alive. But let me go back to another reason to have multiple accounts. Back in the 80s, if you wanted to trade an IRA or retirement account, you couldn't just open an account with a broker, TradeStation or Interactive Brokers or Merrill Lynch or whatever. Because it was so sacred, you couldn't trust a broker to directly have your money. You had to have a trustee. And the broker would tell you, oh, we use this trustee. And you have to open a trustee account with the trustee. And then the money stays in the trustee. So you don't have to worry about me, the broker, running off with your money. And I opened an account. I had many accounts even back in the 80s and 90s. And back in the early 90s, I think it was the early 90s, maybe the late 80s, I had one of these IRA accounts through a trustee. And the name of the company, I think, was Intrust or Millennium Trust or something like that. And one day I got a letter saying, we're sorry, the trustee ran off with $75 million and all the trust accounts. And we don't know where the guy is, but he has your money. And he has a whole bunch of money from other people as well. So here, the government is telling us they're going to protect us by making sure we don't have our money directly with these evil brokers. We have to have it with these nice, safe, honest trustees. And the trustee ran off with one of my IRA accounts. So another reason we want to have multiple accounts, because even though the government is telling me that this trustee is perfectly safe and honest. The name of the company, I think, was Intrust. And they stole my money. They just ran off with it. And I never got it back and had the money directly with the broker. No problem. Was that your only account then? Or is that when you learned no, I had, about multiple accounts? I had, I had many accounts. Remember, okay. I was an eye surgeon back then. Yeah. And I owned a surgical center. So I did a lot of surgery and I did very well. 
So I had a lot of accounts, but it made me mad. I didn't want to give the money to this trust in the first place. I just wanted to have the money at the broker and have, I trusted the broker would take care of it. But the point is that the trading business, no matter how safe you think something is, it ain't as safe as you think. And then another issue is how much is your account insured for? And that gets to be a problem because you don't want, you know, I don't know what the limits are and you don't want more money at any one account than what the account is insured for. Shearson Lehman, a major broker, they went bankrupt. Bear Stearns, a major broker, they went bankrupt. And then Intrust, a trustee company, they went bankrupt. You know, stuff happens. And therefore, you know, I want my money split up into a whole bunch of different places. And therefore, if somebody steals it, or if a company goes bankrupt, or I'll still have plenty of other money elsewhere. Like you said, stuff happens. Stuff happens. Yeah, that's a good piece of advice. Thank you for sharing. So, can you say one other thing about that? Yes, so um, you can. Back in 87, everybody's broker's firms locked up. Nobody had any idea what the price of the stock market was. And there have been several other things like that since then. And you'd think your broker's going to be up and operating, but he won't be. I've had several, not in the past five years or so, but I've had many times over the past 35 years that I've tried to place trades and there's something wrong with the broker. So, and you call the broker and they say, oh, we plan for everything except this one thing. And then afterwards they say, don't worry, Al, we fixed it. It's never going to happen again. But then something else happens and it doesn't work. I mean, even at your own house, the internet will go out, right? I mean, you can try to have backups and backup generators and other things, but you know, you could be in a trade and your power goes off. That's a reason why I always put a protective stop in the market whenever I enter a trade. Okay. Also, my cell phone has data. And if my internet goes out, I can use my cell phone as a hotspot. And that has happened. I've done that many times. So if my internet provider goes down, I just flip over my internet connection to my telephone hotspot. So I want to back up on the internet. It's not a big problem if you're starting out and you have a very small account and you're trading micro e-minis. You know, the most you're going to lose, even if something terrible happens, is maybe $50 or $100. But once you start to trade reasonably good-sized positions, if something goes wrong, you can lose a lot of money. And you have to start building in protections like multiple accounts and have a backup internet provider. If you don't learn from history, you're going to make the same mistakes over and over again. It would be a shame to let history repeat itself when you could have avoided it altogether. Each week, the Finance and Markets newsletter features a financial history lesson to help you grow. Go to the link in this episode's description to subscribe. Now, just after talking with you, I was thinking that you've been trading for such a long time and you've been trading online for you to continue to put this much time into it and you know you've accomplished a lot you've been very successful why is it that you love trading so much because you must love it or else you wouldn't continue to put as much time into it as you do i've always been competitive and i think genetically we're bred to be competitive the survival of the fittest you know so the people who survive are the competitive ones so i think everybody is naturally competitive you know i like watching sports on television and I've played a lot of sports, and that's why I've had shoulder surgery. That's why I'm going to be needing knee surgery. It's fun to compete. 
you know, in trading, it's intellectual competition. And it's just very satisfying. And it's almost like listening to music. It's variations of a theme every day. And it's enjoyable music. And I really love thinking all day long. I love just sitting in my office in front of my screen and watching things unfold and then trying to anticipate what will happen and then try to structure a trade that will allow me to profit from what's going to happen. When you said you were visualizing what was happening, I'm thinking that when you're taking a trade, you are trying to make like a little mini trading plan with every trade. You're trying to say, okay, this is the pattern I'm seeing. This is what I think is going to happen next. This is where I think the market's going to go. So you're like anticipating the market based off of what you're seeing. Yes. And, you know, I talked about that today. This is September 24th. There was a spike in channel bull trend in the E-mini. And I saw the early rally. So I thought, you got to get long. Bull channels usually have bear breakouts. And that's true in all markets. Bear channels typically ultimately have a bull breakout and then a conversion into a trading range. So if I see a channel, especially one that's starting to narrow down into a wedge, I'm getting ready to short. And I shorted at the high today. And typically, when you break below the bull trend line in a bull channel, the market will test major higher lows in the bull channel. So you know, I shorted expecting it to go down and reach the higher lows that were present in the channel as it was forming. So that's the kind of thing I'm anticipating things like that. There are all kinds of other support and resistance. Some of it's pretty subtle. And then there are a whole bunch of these tiny patterns, these invisible patterns that I see. And I talk about them in the chat room, but there are, every tick matters. Every now and then you'll hear somebody say, ah, that's just noise. Nothing is noise. Everything that happens, happens for a reason. And the phrase noise, I do think there is noise, but it's not the way you hear about it talked by um, the academics. To me, noise is whatever you're not looking at. So if I'm trading a five-minute chart and something is happening on a two-second chart and it's happening so fast I'm not paying attention to it, you can call that noise. If I'm trading a five-minute chart and something's happening on the monthly chart and I'm not trading the monthly chart, that's noise. If I'm trading the five-minute e-mini chart and something's happening on the NASDAQ chart or the cash index and I'm not looking at it, that's noise. So noise is just anything I don't want to pay attention to. But actual, as far as calling movements during the day, random and noise, everything happens because one or more computers is making it happen. And the computers are logical. So everything that happens, happens for a reason. And, there, and it creates repeating patterns because, you know, there's logic behind everything. And if you understand the logic, you can see that pretty much everything makes sense. I, I have to say back in the 80s and 90s, there are all kinds of things that happened I didn't understand. And I thought, they're trying to take my money. You know, Goldman Sachs guy is trying to take my money. And that's not true. All of us together, all the individual traders together, make up maybe 5% of the market. So all those hedge funds out there with tens of billions of dollars, they're not trying to take my money because they are 95% of the market. And 95% of the market cannot survive taking money from the 5%. They totally ignore us. You know, if you're 95% of the market, you want to take money from somebody who's you know 10% of the market. You want to take money from some little guy who's like one millionth percent of the market. So the market doesn't care. Market doesn't have feelings. It doesn't care about me. Doesn't know that I exist. It's not trying to take my money. If the market does take my money, it's because I was stupid. I put my stop too close because I was afraid of losing money. But the market is never out there to get you. It doesn't care. I want to say one other thing. I never am surprised 
In the old days, I used to be surprised and I used to get ripped up inside. Oh, I can't believe it's doing this. Oh, I can't believe it's doing yeah. this. Now when I see stuff going on, I say, oh, yeah, I know why it's doing that. Spike in channel pattern like today. Or there's a magnet support or resistance level in the markets going to test it. So I just never am surprised by anything at all. Are you tired of feeling lost in the world of trading and investing? Get informed and inspired with the Talking Trading Podcast. I'm Louise Bedford, and I'll help you navigate the markets like a pro. Tune in each week and subscribe now at talkingtrading.com.au or on your favorite podcast app, or check out the link in the show notes. Talking Trading, this is how traders excel. So what happens if, like today, you see that spike in channel pattern and it doesn't work and it goes opposite? Like what happens then? Well, I have percentages in my mind for every pattern. And I have a, an encyclopedia of thousands of slides, maybe 400 patterns. And for every pattern, I have a failed pattern, right? Because everything can fail. And if something could not fail, you have a goose that's laying a golden egg. And it would not take long for some institution to discover it and for other institutions to discover it. And then everybody will know it. And what's going to happen? There's not going to be anybody to take the other side of the trade. So there are no perfect trades. Perfect trades cannot exist. Every trade is going to fail at some point. And for different patterns, I have different percentages. Like for a spike in channel bull trend, 75% chance you're going to get a bear breakout below the bull channel. 25% chance you're going to get a bull breakout above the bull channel. And then you have a new breakout phase. So I have these percentages that I, I just know them. And I know that going in and make sure that my risk and reward works well with my probability. You know, one thing you, you often hear about is, oh, that has a good risk reward ratio. And my reaction is, who cares? What's the probability? Uh, good risk reward. If I buy a lottery ticket, that has good risk reward. I can pay a dollar and I can win a million dollars. Yeah, but the uh, probability is nothing. Yeah. What's the probability? Right. Yeah. So whenever somebody That's talks great. about risk reward, I say, oh, the guy's a fool because probability is just as important. You have three variables on every trade, risk, reward and probability. And every trade, you have to think about all three. And one safe way to look at trades is everything can fail. And 90 percent of the time, this is what I'm saying is true. 90 percent of the time, you're between 40 and 60 percent certain about everything. So at any given instant, on 90% of the bars on the chart, there's a 40 to 60% chance it'll go up or that it'll start going down. 10% of the time, maybe 5% of the time, the probability is more like 70 or 80%, right? So this morning during that really strong breakout that we had to the upside, the probability of the market going higher was 70 or 80%, but it was brief. That really high probability is only brief. Most of the time, 90, 95% of the bars on the chart, you got to be thinking that no matter how certain I am, I cannot be more than 60% certain, right? And that means I'm always going to have a 40% chance of being wrong. You can increase your probability by scaling in, right? That's a very good way to increase your probability. And as a scalper, it's a very good thing to do. You know, a good scalper, he wants to win 70, 80, 90% of the time. But So he wants a very high probability. But remember, there's a trade-off. If you get probability, the institution taking the other side gets risk-reward. If I buy a lottery ticket, and I get really good risk reward, the guy selling me that ticket has a very high probability of making money. So the higher the probability 
of my trade, the less profit potential there is and relatively the greater the risk. The amount of reward compared to the risk is going to be less. So every trade, there's a trade-off between probability and risk reward. And if you're a scalper looking for really high probability trades, your risk reward is going to be terrible. If you're a swing trader willing to take lower probability trades in an attempt to get a very big reward, right? A swing trader is going for a reward that might be two or three times his risk. He only has to be right 40% of the time to be profitable. And most traders should be thinking that way. They should be looking for trades where the reward is at least two to three times the risk because then he only has to be right 40% of the time. And as I said, 90% of the time, you're going to be right at least 40% of the time. So everybody should be thinking about in terms of swing trades because you're always going to be right at least 40% of the time. And if you go for a reward that's two to three times your risk, you're going to become consistently profitable. For scalpers, where you say the probability is higher, what is a good reward to be looking for if you're looking for a high probability? It depends on a lot of variables. One is time frame. So for example, if I'm scalping on a five-minute chart and the average bars, let's say the average bars are 10 pips tall, and I think I'm going to scalp. If you're an intense scalper, you're looking for a reward that's probably less than the height of the bar. So if you're buying above a certain bar, let's say you're picking a low and you buy above the high of the bar or your stop is below the low of the bar. If you're a scalper, you're probably risking more than what you're planning to make on the trade. So if I'm scalping forex markets, I'm not going to be scalping for less than 10 pips. If I'm scalping in a, in a cheap stock, let's say a $10 stock, I'm not going to be scalping for less than 10 cents. If I'm scalping on a $100 stock, I want to be getting at least 50 cents to a dollar on a scalp. And if you're scalping, if you're going for a quick reward, in general, your risk is going to be greater than your reward. Right. And most players should not do that because to make money as a scalper, where the risk is greater than the reward, you have to win 60, 70, 80% of the time to be profitable. And most traders cannot be right that often. So most traders should not scalp. They should only swing trade. That you're scalping, right? I do both. I'm looking for swing trades all day long, but I'll scalp in the meantime. I fly fish. I'm a fly fisherman. I like going up on the mountains and fly. I see the picture in the back. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. There's another picture. I don't know if we can see it, but I have one picture back there of a marlin. I caught a marlin a few years ago, a 200-pound marlin. Yeah, I think that's it right over your shoulder there. Yeah, right over there. Yeah. I caught that in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico a few years ago. But I have a buddy, and he and I go fly fishing. And he's always wanted to brag, brag to me, Al, I caught more fish than you did today. <laughs> and what I do is when I fish, I try to figure out, just like I read charts, I like to read the water. And if you're in a little stream, I like to fish small streams because I like the intellectual challenge. I'd like to figure out where the big fish will be. And sometimes I'll lie down on the bank so I don't cast a shadow and the fish doesn't see me. And I'll know where a big fish is. And sometimes I'll be there two or three hours lying on my belly, trying to catch the big fish that I know is in that hole. And eventually I'll catch that big fish. But that means for two to three hours, I don't catch anything. Whereas my buddy is over there catching all these, you know, 10-inch, 12-inch trout. But I'd rather catch the occasional, you know, 24-inch trout or 20-inch trout than a whole bunch of little trout. Sometimes I'll go to a stream and I just know there are no big trout. And then I'll just try to catch as many 12 to 15-inch trout as I can. So kind of like scalping, take a lot of small ones. If there's no big one around, I'll just try to catch as many small ones as I can. And that's how I trade. I'm looking for the big trades. A lot of times, they're just not there. But I see all these little trades, 
it's kind of like a little guy standing on the corner, like a leprechaun holding out a little bag of gold. There's a few pieces of gold in it. And I could say, no, I'm too important. I'm not going to take that gold. Or I can say, I'm going to take that gold. And then he'll hold out another bag and I'll take that gold. And get enough of those little bags. At the end of the day, you got a real pot of gold. So when the market is not offering good swing trades, I take as many scalps as I can because they add up. Wow. Yeah. Well, Al, this has been really great for the audience and for myself personally. I want to thank you for being on the show. I know you've got a lot of resources available. You're just filled up with insight and wisdom and experience, and it just you're very deep well. So it's been great drawing from it. I feel like I'm drawing from the well here. I like that. So I really appreciate you taking the time. But can you tell everybody that's listening about some of your resources? I know you got some books available, a video course you're doing in a chat room. I think that would be just tremendous resource for people that are really interested in learning some of this stuff. Yeah, I wrote a number of books on trading and I kept getting a lot of questions about the books, about different things in the books. And I decided that the books just weren't conveying what I really wanted to convey in a way that people could learn it pretty easily. So once my girls went off to college, I'm going to brag, my girls went, uh, graduated from Harvard, Stanford, and Yale in Berkeley. Uh, yeah, <laughs> That's I, I, amazing. I really, They're smart like you. <laughs> I think they got it from their mother. So. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, I worked really hard to prepare them for life, and I really like teaching them. And I was on the faculty at Emory University School of Medicine in Atlanta for a while, and then I did the clinical faculty at UCLA. I really like teaching people. And now with my girls gone, I have a whole bunch of time on my hands. And I decided, why not just go ahead and try to make a bunch of videos that might teach people all the stuff that I do when I'm trading. And that's what I did. So I created the Brooks Trading Course. And I have a website, the Brooks Trading Course. There are a lot of resources on that site. And then about eight years ago, a group of traders asked me if I would speak to their group. And I thought about it and I worked out a deal with them. And it turned into a chat room. So during the day, three days a week, I'm talking all day long about what I'm seeing and what I'm looking at in terms of trading opportunities, how to structure trades. And I don't want to confuse people, but I have a separate website called brookspriceaction.com. The main website is brookstradingcourse.com. And both websites have links to the other course, to the other website. And I think if you take a look, you might find some useful information at both. Also, the guys who run the Brooks, the guys who run the chat room will give viewers of this podcast, I think, five free days if they contact the chat room, contact those guys within five days, within 24 hours of the podcast. Okay, well, you guys heard it. It's brookspriceaction.com and brookstradingcourse.com. I pulled them both up. All of those will be in the description. So you guys are listening or watching, you guys can just click those links and get access. And Al has arranged for a special free trial for everyone that mentions the podcast. And how would they do that? Would they, is that on the order form or would they just send them an email? There's a link. If you just go to either of the two websites and there'll be a link to the chat room, just click on the link. And when you communicate with the administrators of the room, you just say, I saw that I can get five free days in the chat room if I respond within 24 hours of the podcast. And the guys will say, sure, I'll set you up. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, for everybody listening, I highly recommend that you guys try it out get the video course, join the chat room. Al is filled up with just tons of experience and wisdom and insight, and you just can't get that everywhere. So if you're stuck, if you need help, even if you're doing well, 
still do it because, you know, if you're doing well, you want to do better, right? And learning from some of the best is the way to do it. Just like what Al mentioned about practicing, right? If you're good, you want to keep practicing and get better. And I can't see a better way than to getting Al's material. Well, thank you so much, Al. I really appreciate it. It was tremendous. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity, Casey. Thank you very much. I hope everybody finds the information useful. They absolutely will. All right. Well, that's it for today's episode. And thank you for listening. Until next time, everybody. Thanks for listening to the How to Trade It podcast. Our mission is to help you create security in the markets. If you have a question you want me to ask my guests or a specific question you have for me, please email me at podcasttradingstrategyguides.com. I answer every email I get because this show is about helping you learn how to trade it. So again, please reach me at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another insightful episode of How to Trade It with Casey Stubbs. We hope you found today's discussion valuable and inspiring. Remember, the road to trading mastery is a continuous one, and your commitment to learning and growing as a trader is the key to your success. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, please reach out to us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Keep listening, keep learning, and keep trading your way to victory. Until next time.